from the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for Monday, December, uh, December. Danny, I said it's December. What's wrong with me? January 23rd, 2019. This is technically the betting and fantasy uh, football preview show, yet this week it's going to be a bunch of other things. Why am I still saying it's December? Hello? Hello? I'm here. Okay, sorry, you, you hit a, del, a, a, a cell dead spot right at that point. Why do you think I'm still saying December? You don't want football to be over yet. I, I don't know. Well, see, I'll be glad when football's over because I know I'll have to split screen it with golf, you know? So there's, there's trade-offs that happen. I was one of about four Americans watching golf and football last week, side by side. Yeah, I'd say so. I, I was fully fixated on those games. Yes. Um, all right, before we get to that, Mariano becomes the first unanimous player in baseball history to be inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. You and I are both Yankee fans. I've never in my, in my sporting life felt more secure with anything than Mariano ninth inning big spot. Yeah. I mean, those Yankees games, we were blessed to have the players that we did on those teams come up at the same time and all be. And Mariano probably is the best one uh, out of all of them. And I was reading something in the Players' Tribune today that Derek Gia wrote about him. And he's like, you want to hear a wild stat? And the stat was that NASA's confirmed that 12 people have walked, face, uh, have walked on the moon. Um, and Mariano Rivera in all his playoff appearances, which are a lot, have, has only allowed 11 earned runs. It's insane. So, uh, I mean, think of that what you want. You know, it's definitely arbitrary thing to kind of pull out, but Mariano Rivera has to go down as one of the best, you know, New York athletes. Early pitcher. But what he did for that team, you know, he, he really resembled to me a lot of what that team stood for. Being competitor, but you just didn't see it. You know, he, he hit well, but you know, fierce in his competition, fierce in his preparation, utterly dominant in what he does, did, just crafting, you know, his, his skill set to be so perfect that it was one pitch that everyone knew was coming and he still got the people out. It was never overmatched with any appearance that he was in, no matter what hitter it was. You know, the only blip on his uh, big league resume has to be that 2001 World Series, Game 7, you know. Um, and, and that was a shame to see, but what a pitcher. It was a sad day when he retired. You know, he did lose a year there towards the end with that torn ACL that he had. But... I don't think we'll ever see a guy like him in baseball in general. I'm not just talking about from a relief pitcher or a closer situation. I just think he's probably one of the best guys to ever play that game, and I'm sure his teammates in competition with his same thing. Yeah, and if you have not already, please, folks, do some Google searching for the for the statement, uh, Bernie Williams. The Yankees put out statements from every person under the sun yesterday after this came out and the statement from bernie most of the statements were like one paragraph and four sentences this one was about uh was was five different paragraphs touched on his locker room clubhouse life his personal life um his professional life 
uh, Bernie having that, that that great straight on view in center field. It's a wonderfully beautiful statement. If you have not seen it, it's on Ken Rosenthal's Twitter feed. Just go there and see that statement from Bernie Williams because it's just remarkably beautiful. Um, what surprises me, though, is the first unanimous choice in baseball history. And again, I said he probably one of the best baseball players ever, but it just kind of goes to show you how unique he was, but also how flawed baseball Hall of Fame voting process is. Because there are definitely players before Bo that probably could have been unanimous, but um, that's a, a unique feat for to pull off considering the BBWA might be the crustiest group of men to ever live. Yeah, it's it's shocking. I mean, the Ken Griffey's and the Kyle Rifkins and all those people, none of them, Jackie Robinson, Ted Williams, none of them ever received one one hundred percent. Um and, and and Jeter won't get a hundred percent. For as much as Jeter being the face of baseball and he'll be a first ballot Hall of Famer, he's not gonna get a hundred percent. No, absolutely not. So I mean it 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 just shows you the type of person he was and how well respected he was. And sometimes it goes above the stats and the numbers. To just be like, okay, he was a guy that everyone loved and wanted to play with and enjoyed competing against. I think that's the greatest honor you can have as an athlete. You know, your skills diminish at the end of the day when you're an athlete, but you know the type of person you are doesn't. So, you know, kudos to him, and it was an honor and a blessing, like I mentioned, to be able to watch him for so many years growing up. It's incredible. I'll never forget. There was one game the Yankees came back. When I was a kid. It stayed like a seven-run rally in the bottom of the eighth, and I turned to my mom in the car, and I said, well, this game's over, and she goes, huh? And I went, well, now that the Yankees have the lead, Mariano can come in and shut this thing down. It went from being a blowout loss to an epic rally to a heck of a win. It was a weekday day game. That's the only thing I remember about it. <laughs> um, shows you how weird sports is. All right, um, look. They blew the call. We all know the refs blew the call. The league. Has the league even put out the statement yet? I know they're doing it, but they're trying to apparently be very careful about that clause in the um, in the uh, collective bargaining agreement that Roger Goodell could redo the, uh, could order them back or do something else if something egregious or extreme happened. I don't know if they've even put out the official Al Riveron statement that they did blow it. But they blew the call. It cost the Saints the game, most likely. Um, although it did go to overtime. And look, here's my point for all these Saint fans and Saint organizations and the congressman who wants to get get Goodell on the Capitol Hill and the bars that won't show the Super Bowl. Number 85, I forget his name, he dropped a touchdown pass. Um, you did not score a touchdown on any of those two red zone opportunities um, in, in the first quarter right off the bat, which slowed you down in the first place and made it 13-whatever instead of 21 or, or, or 17. And number three, your quarterback threw an interception in overtime. Um, so as much as I feel for Saint fans, um, they had opportunities and they let them go. I agree with everything you stated right there. I mean, when you look at that game in a microscope, the, the most blatant mistake is going to stand out, and none of the other things are going to. And like you mentioned, there was that big interception on the first Rams drive that only turned to three points. There was that, I, I know you said drop that ball. That was a tough play, but like, there's a touchdown dropped right there. You were up 13 nothing, 20 to 10. Uh, 
and you let the Rams come back every single time, and you have the ball with 150 left. You know, I agreed with the call to throw the ball. I, you know, you and I were texting. I said I agree with it because even if they run it, the Rams at that point, the Saints already had screwed it up. You know, they they had allowed the Rams to keep that one time out. If they run the ball, then the Rams would have had the ball with like a, a minute 30 left, no timeout. Does that make it a little more difficult for them to get down the field? Most likely, but I think if everything plays out the way it did on that Rams drive, they still kick that field goal. I agree with that, that play call. Was it the best play call they probably could have figured out? I, I don't think so. You're throwing it to a guy who's your kickoff returner in the flat, hoping that he's going to get out of bounds or score a touchdown. I, I don't know if that was the best play call they could have got. But you go back in that game, you, you, you play in your head. There were missed calls everywhere. There's a face mask on Jared Goff not called. There was a, a Pat P.I. on Ted Ginn on a big third down seven not called that I thought was pretty obvious watching. You know, there were a lot of plays in that game that, that could have gone either way, but like, like you said, I, I look back and see all these other things that happened that changed that game tremendously that don't even put you in that situation. So it sucks. You know, I feel for the Saints fan, would I have much preferred to see the Saints in the Super Bowl than the Rams? Most likely, yeah, I would like to see Breeze and Brady go at it, Sean Payton versus Belichick, all that stuff. But in a game, in a sporting event, whatever it is, if you're relying on the officials to bail you out, you've already lost. And the Saints put themselves in that situation with a bunch of mistakes early on and without stopping the Rams. So it sucks. I don't know how you missed that call. I don't know what they were seeing. The ball was tipped, blah, 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 whatever it is. You know, if it were me, I would have thrown that flag, and then he discussed to make sure that everything was kosher with, with throwing it. But the NFL in general had a bad day officiating on uh, on Sunday. It wasn't just that call. So you, you got to just chalk it up as what it is. It's a loss. And, and for a Saints fan, two years in a row, you ended in heartbreak. But think about the other things they could have done to maybe put that game away. They just didn't do it. You know... I don't know what to think about the Rams now. I I honestly don't know. Um, because I think the Saints were the better team. They battled back. You have to give them credit. Goff led them back. I don't know, though, how they're going to do in the Super Bowl. I don't know if they have enough weapons to go against Belichick's schemes. And we'll talk about the Super Bowl next week. But just what did you see out of the Rams? What impressed you? What worried you? What 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 didn't you like? Um, so I thought their second half game plan was, was great. I mean, they came out and they made the adjustments. Uh, Goff was terrible in that first half, throwing the ball and was much sharper and crisper in the second half. My concern going into this game for the Rams is, can you get the same type of play from Indomitian Sue and Aaron Donald against the Pat? Is to lead, you know, I, I was looking back quickly today just, from a, just to like refresh my memory. You know, from the 2015 AFC Championship game, I think that's the last time Brady won against the Wade Phillips defense. And we all know how that ended up, and that was a tough game for them uh, offensively. Their line got beating up, got beat up in that game, and uh, you know they ended up losing. But can the players that they have had fueled in the last couple of weeks really get them to that point where they can get over that cliff? Because you mentioned like the weapons. You know, they've kind of hung around in games lately against better competition. But what I want to know is what, what's up with Gurley? What's his deal? You know, he, he touched the ball six times on Sunday. 
he's not hurt. He's hurt. Uh, he played sorry. He, you know, they, they favored C.J. Anderson because of the downhill running game. Like, what, what, what's going on? So, if they don't have Gurley at 100%, I don't know if they're going to be able to do much. And, again, we'll talk more about this next week. But I, I think that's my biggest question heading into next week is, What's up with that guy, and what are they going to get out of him? And if they can get something out of him, I think that game could swing tremendously. And Brandon Cooks was big, too, with those with those seven catches and 107 yards. But, yeah, it's a running situation, and we'll see how that plays out. Look, um, if you're a Chiefs fan, I feel for you, because I hate the NFL overtime rules. Um, I am a big proponent of the, the Jim Nance proposal, which is you just kick it off and you just keep going. And now the Chiefs have to either score seven to tie, eight to win. If you score eight, the game's over. If you score seven, we continue. It goes back to the Patriots. If you, uh, if, if you fail, you fail. Um, I don't get why we have to have this situation where a coin toss determines who, who wins the outcome of the Super Bowl or, or the outcome of, of a playoff game. Um, it's just not right. It just is not fair, and I feel for cheap fans. But look, their defense could not stop anybody. A 38-point fourth quarter, remarkable fourth quarter. And for Tom Brady, and obviously Tony Romo detailed it, but for them to make the offensive adjustments, to get the catches to Edelman over the middle, to survive the the interception that was negated by the offsides to be able to make the right calls at the right time to use James White right to finally get something on a Gronk, which we talked so much about last week. Um, that, to me, was a reminder of what the Patriots are, and that's why I asked the question about the Rams, because if the Patriots are going to be like this and they're just hitting their stride now, and then that doesn't mention Sonny Michelle or Rex Burkhead, if... If they're just hitting their stride now, then what does that portend for the Super Bowl? Yeah, and, you know, you mentioned some plays in that game, too, and I go back in that game and look at some big plays and some big calls, and none other than that, that Brady interception in the end zone, a very uncharacteristic play, and that kind of reminded me a bit of their game against uh, the Chiefs a couple years ago in Foxborough when uh, Alex Smith and, and Kareem Hunt, you know, really – stood up and, and destroyed them. The pass score there is 14 nothing. You know, again, if the game goes exactly as it was the rest of the way, the pass would have been up 21 nothing at halftime, and that game's over. And it's, it's completely over. So, again, like, it, it sucks that we have to, like, look at these, like, little plays that, that maybe could have swung the game, but I thought the pass defensively in the first half completely shut down the Chiefs. Tiger Kill had one catch all game. Sammy Watkins stepped up, you know, for him, but, you know... He then got hurt. Yeah, it wasn't enough. And I just thought defensively the Pats made the plays when they were supposed to, you know. They got some breaks, uh, of course. You know, that fan, that uh, rough in the passer call, Julian Edelman being like a microscopic millimeter away from touching that punt return. Yep. Um, you know, the offside... And everyone can say, oh, the Patriots got lucky, blah, 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 with that offside. That's on the Chiefs. That's on D Ford. You, you know where the ball is. It's not, you're not, you know, you're looking right at it. And that was a clear penalty. You can't argue that. It's a clear penalty. Yeah, line up on side. But again, you can't 
let the rest decide your fate. You have to be able to do something to control the game. And the Chiefs could not make a stop when they had to. And I know you brought up the coin flip. The pass is a drive 75 yards. And I think Tom Brady was like 8 for 8 in the fourth quarter in overtime on third downs. And that yep. includes some circus catches by Edelman and Hogan and, and Gronk. So, you know, tip your hat to them. They knew exactly what they were doing. I thought Gronk would have a big game and some big catches. He did. Edelman had some big catches. Hogan had some big catches. They just came to play, and I was on the Chiefs' side most of the week, and as the week progressed, I just got more and more confident that the Pats were going to be able to pull it off, and they came out, and they kicked them right in the teeth. And, you know, credit to Kansas City for coming back and making that game a one-possession game, an overtime game, but you just expend so much energy trying to do that. And what I thought would happen happened, and that was the Pats just grinded out drives and when they scored and they just took it to them and forced Kansas City to play deep every snap, which at the end of the day I think worked in their favor because they did have to come back too in that game. They're down 28-24. So they were able to get the Chiefs defense tired and worn out and by then I think they had seen everything they could have thrown at them and you know, give, give Brady you know, some props. You know, he said when he walked in there he was the baddest motherfucker on the planet and he proved it. Um, we are talking to obviously Danny Flecker here about the, um, excuse me, about uh, various things in the National Football League from last weekend, this weekend, etc. Uh, next weekend, on Sunday at three p.m. Eastern time, what will you be doing? Not watching the Pro Bowl, that's for sure. You you are you are or are not. I am not. I'm okay. not wasting my time with that. Because I can tell you that that uh, that ESPN today announced that it will also air on the Disney XD channel. That is I don't a know what that, means, but that, that that is a children's channel. I'm sure if you get Disney XD, you get ESPN. So I, I don't know, but <laughs> it's also yeah, on ABC. It's what it is, and it's. Uh, good honor and nice honor for some players that definitely deserve it but as far as like the spectacle of the game I think it's uh, pretty worn out and terrible so I'm not going to spend any time watching that I am I am very much looking forward to watching golf during that time slot and not watching um, excuse me and, and not watching um, the the Pro Bowl where are you right now when it comes to um, before we get to Quinnipiac Hockey where are you right now with the NFL challenging penalties and challenging pass interference and where we go forward from here on that front with replay? I am uh, very against it. I, I just think that there's enough already on the plates of the review officials and everybody else to, to just make everything reviewable. And, and listen, again, I get it. It was a terrible call. And it was a bad day for the NFL, officiating-wise, in both games, not just one. Um, but unless the NFL can collectively put data together that shows that X amount of pass interferences were missed throughout the season and it led to this type of result for the team that didn't get the call, I, I think you leave it be because every pass, uh, every pass is going to be called. Uh, every pass is. I think the police going to be challenged for a holding or a pass interference. And if it, again, if they can have data that supports that, then I'm for it. But I just think it was a very bad misread by that official that was standing right there that didn't call it. And shame on Bill Vinovich, who's the head referee, not being like to all his other crew members, what did you see there? Because 
like Nicole Roby Coleman, whatever his name is, came flying from a, a horizontal angle. So the guys behind should have been able to see it. The guys, you know, you know where Bill Vinovich was standing and the umpire should have been able to see it. The back judge should have been able to see that play. It looked pretty clear to me. There's no one around there blocking anybody's view. So I just think you got to chalk it up for what it was, and that was just a terrible mistake. And I don't know if I want to watch football games. I just let every single thing get challenged because you lose, I don't want to say the beauty of the game, but you lose the the variables that can swing a game. And I think you could see games swing a lot more if you keep keep making everything reviewable. Um. There is a a thought process Mike Pereira has has floated this that you put basically that you let New York, especially in the playoffs where there's only one game at once, override anything egregious. Like that one is so bad, and maybe it's in the last two minutes that that you let New York just basically come in and say we're going to make sure that this doesn't decide anything major. I would be okay with that because at that point you have a very similar situation that you do in college where they'll buzz down and say, review this play, do this, do that. And I'm okay with that. And, again, it's egregious. It's blatant. It's, you can't even look. You don't even have to look at the replay to say that it's uh, questionable one way or the other. But to, to let coaches challenge every single play or have the opportunity to do so, I just think is going to put too much emphasis on on things that aren't important, and on top of that, just slow down the game tremendously. And like I said, I think you'll see games swing one way or the other much more than we do now. I think that's the only game this year that maybe was swung by a bad call that I remember. And unfortunately, it was in the NFC Championship game. I just think that's the way it works. And again, we're in a day and age where a lot of the human error has been taken out of sports. And if we are going to make everything reviewable, you might as well just have robots out there officiating and uh, making the, the call. So. It's a fine line. It's a very fine line. Um, the, the, the one thing I will say is that if you go by the New York method and the New York theory, they already have the right in the playoffs to immediately stop a game remotely. The replay official upstairs can buzz down if a spot is wrong and if the game clock is wrong. And you saw a couple times in that Chiefs-Pats game where they stopped the game, and that was the alternative ref uh, who is on the sideline and has communication with New York just trying to, I guess, hold up the game an extra second just make sure that, that, they got, that they got the clock right. That is only currently in place for ball spotting and game clock. Um, but you could expand it to that potentially. But apparently there may not be an appetite for that. So we'll see where this goes. You got to see um, on Saturday the, and I forgot to look up the rankings. Bad job hosting by me before then. Uh, let's do this right now quickly while we're here. Uh, the sixth ranked Quinnipiac University Bobcats, 17-5-1. Move up a spot from last week in the USCHO.com poll. Um, take on BU and beat BU on a last-second goal. Uh, or, 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 or what, 5.4 seconds left, I think it was? I think it was 2.4 left. Something with a 4. Um, whatever it was, it was very tight to the end. 
This is a team that seems to have the talent to go places come tournament time. What what was your impression seeing them for the first time this year? They looked good. You know, they, they I thought, controlled. I mean, they had like 45 to 46 shots on net. They look like they have a good, you know, set of young guys, some good skaters. They did blow a 2 nothing lead, which is kind of concerning when, you, when you're going against a BU team that doesn't have as much talent as they usually does. But, you know, overall, they look fast, a lot faster than the Quinnipiac teams I remember watching when we were in school. Um, it, it was fun to watch, and, you know, they, they came up to a pretty tough place to play and, and were able to take one, um, you know, home with them. But they, they look like they have what it takes to get to the tournament this year. You know, hockey's weird with how they do their selection process. They have to Very. arguably be the best team in the country to get an automatic bid if they don't win their conference tournament. But... You know, they have the pieces there. So hopefully, you know, they, they have a nice long run here. Um, you know, young team, they weren't that good last year. They, you know, it looks like they uh, were able to move up, you know, with the experience. And it's just a credit to, I think, Rand Pecknell over there being able to still recruit the way he recruits to a school like Quinnipiac in the middle of Connecticut, you know, uh, considering that it's not a traditional hockey power. No, it is not a traditional hockey power, and... I just lost my place on this page. Um, oh, that's why I forgot to click on individual. And give me a moment here. Um, Andrew Shortridge had thir- uh, 31 total saves. Um, so he stepped up too late in there to keep that 4-4. And then ultimately they they, they won it, obviously, on the Brandon Fortunato shot um, to win that game. Yeah, he's done a heck of a job. And... This is a team that has recruited well, had a couple down years in transitions that happens in sports. Um, and now they're on the way up, and we'll see where this takes us and them uh, come come tournament time. But, yeah, with the, with the pairwise and everything that's involved um, with um, uh, when it comes to how they calculate that stuff, I don't even attempt to figure out what the pairwise how to interpret the pairwise rankings but the bottom line is you got to be good or else you're not going to make it and it's a small tournament and uh hopefully they're on that path let's hope it'd be nice to see them play in april a little bit so yes it would be um but you never know until you get down there to the uh to the final countdown so to speak so we'll see where this goes come march and april Danny, thank you as always for coming on Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. No problem, man. Have a good night. Uh, I will give you one musical. And I will give you, just to uh, get ourselves out of here, a round of applause. Thank you. So there you go. Thank you all for listening to Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. We will see you next time.